0: This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio
1: 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM.
2: As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM.
0: When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong.
2: Thank you very much, Roger. Good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way here on WGN Radio with our weekly hour to talk about the most basic industry in the world producing food for you and me. And uh, it's, as you heard me say earlier talking to Jim, it's been. Of frustrating but i guess you could call it interesting spring the way we have gotten showers uh, and very little break in those showers so that we can get fields dried out and get planting done but i did look at my rain gauge uh, in my backyard here in huntley illinois this morning and uh No rain measured uh, overnight, so uh, at least we've got a dry period until the showers Roger talked about move in later this afternoon. Send out a good morning to the folks who came up to say hello at Jameson's last night. We were there for our weekly visit and good food at Jameson's, and uh, there with good friends, and always enjoy meeting people who, when they check in, say Does Orion really eat here? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, twice this week, and at least a minimum of once a week. So, yes, indeed, and thank you for coming up, because, as you know, I love this place. Well, we're at 10 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Max Armstrong checking in in the second half of the show, talking to Arlen Suderman. He's our market analyst this week, and we'll be talking markets with him. And, of course, Jim Fazell took the week off last week, but he is back with us this morning. And as I said to Jim, June is not only Dairy Month, it is Rose Month. And uh, And then, besides all of that, I'm going to uh, share a story with Jim, a total sticker shock this week, and I'll tell you why that happened and a whole lot more when we come back here on the Saturday Morning Show. Jim Fizzell time here on the Saturday Morning Show, and uh, not only is June dairy month, but it's another special month in your world, Jim.
3: Oh, it is. It's Rose Month, and, uh, you know, roses are practically everybody's favorite flowers. In fact, they're my favorite flower. As you know, for uh, a number of years I was growing cut roses throughout the country, building big greenhouses and growing roses, so I, I know about them, I know of them, I like them, and it was a wonderful time. I still like them. I have some in my garden, as a matter of fact. Um, but, you know, there, there are some things that have happened uh, uh, in in hobby rose growing that are that are really interesting and really important. First of all, uh, the roses that everybody seems to be familiar with are the hybrid tea, grandiflora and multiflora types, the most familiar kinds. These are the ones that you get in the flower shop if you're going to go buy a bunch of roses. And historically, they've been the ones that most of us tried to grow in the gardens. They start blooming in June, and they do bloom faithfully all season, which means that you that you'll, you're going to have flowers coming along all season, and if you're growing them for cut flowers, that means you're always going to have bouquets. Lot of good colors of those, many good forms. Some of the varieties that people may be uh, familiar with would be Peace Rose, which was a uh, rose that was developed uh, 60 years ago, Chrysler Imperial, that's 50 years ago. Queen Elizabeth, Fragrant Memory. Uh, there are a lot of them, the names that are familiar, and every year there are, there are more that come out that are that are. Um, Really being pushed because they're all America selections, and uh, they have characteristics which are excellent, but you know they're they're um, they're Reputation is that they're hard to grow. First of all, you need to grow them in full sun if possible, and you need to provide good drainage. But the important thing is these are grafted onto hardy rootstock. Now, the rootstock, the roots are hardy to any kind of weather, even what we had this winter, but the tops are not fully hardy, so you have to protect them. And you have to do innovative ways of doing that so that the flower, that the uh, uh, flowering part of the plant stays frozen, doesn't warm up in the middle of winter, then freeze again, and generally they'll come through all right, cared for in that that particular manner. But they get a lot of diseases, uh, mildew and black spot as well, and they have insect problems with aphids and mites and midges and so forth. So you need to have a disease control program and an insect control program. So this reputation of them being hard to grow, they're not hard to grow, they just take a lot of attention. Now, Some other roses that don't take that kind of attention. First of all, the shrub roses. These are the old-fashioned roses that uh, maybe you had in grandmother's garden or great-grandmother's garden. Uh, These are flower uh, varieties that they precede 1867. This is just an arbitrary number. Uh, Those are roses that were available at that time. Many of them are parents of the stuff that we grow today. They're fully hardy, often very fragrant, but they bloom in spring usually vigorously, and very little after that. There are a lot of varieties that people think about, moss roses and cabbage roses. One that I'm familiar with and I really like is one of these old-fashioned roses called Harrison Yellow. makes a big bush uh, just covered with yellow flowers at this time of year, and in fact, that is the Yellow Rose of Texas. Next kind I just want to mention in passing is the Hybrid Perpetual. A lot of us remember the American Beauty Rose. This was popular probably the most popular bouquet roses uh, uh around the turn of the 19th uh, 20th century and a lot of people still remember the name uh it is a hybrid perpetual which means it blooms all season but you never know when it's going to bloom and it's not hardy in the garden rose, then we have the species roses. Now these are maybe old-fashioned roses, but these are ones that have never been hybridized or very little hybridizing, uh, that we can still get. They're perfectly hardy, they're fully hardy roses. Um, many of the landscape roses that we have today are derived from some of these species species. Uh, the landscape roses themselves are fully hardy. They don't need winter protection. They do the best in full sun. They don't have a lot of disease and insect problems. And uh, some of the names you might be familiar with would be knockout roses. Um, this was actually developed by Bill Radler up in Wisconsin, so you know it's going to be hardy here. Uh, the Medellin series, Bonica, and some of those, uh, these were developed by Alain Mayon and the Antibes over in France. And uh, Never know whether they're going to be particularly hardy, but my experience with things like bonica is that it's been planted uh, uh, um, 20 years ago and still flowering. Uh, the carefree roses, this is just a generic name of all kinds of roses that don't take any care particularly mostly developed by Bill Radler up in uh, Milwaukee again. And then we have the ground cover type roses, the floral carpet roses, which we're beginning to see. They make very nice ground covers. Uh, They don't take a lot of care, but they flower all through the season and uh, make a delightful planting for places where you just want something low that you can enjoy. Another... Uh, category of of roses that we've seen in the past are the climbers. These are extremely vigorous. Uh, The canes need to be taken down and and buried for the winter because they're by and large hybrid teas. Uh, So they take a lot of care. And then we have tree roses. Some people see these. uh, They're available in the in the uh, big box shops at this time of year. They're flowering beautifully. They are usually on a stem that's maybe three and a half, four feet tall with a bush on the top of it. That stem is hardy, but the bush on the top of it is a hybrid tea. So if you're going to grow these things, you need to dig them out, lean them over, and bury them for the winter. A lot of work, but some people want to go through it anyway. So, if you want to see roses too, you know you can you can see a lot of rose gardens and exhibits in our Chicago land area. Uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden has a lot of them up there. They have a magnificent rose garden uh, just as you walk in, uh, right across from their education building, uh, out at Cantini, the the park in. Uh, uh, what would it be for the, it was the first armored division and it, it was, uh, developed uh, out there as, as a memorial to that, but they've got all kinds of, uh, plantings out there, including a very nice rose planting. And then if you're down in the city, you know, there are a lot of roses right along Grant park, uh, throughout downtown. And if you're out of town, uh, there are places that you can go like the burner gardens up in Milwaukee. That's always a nice place to visit. If you just want to take a day, go up there and have lunch and see the garden. That's nice too. Um, Cutting roses uh, for bouquets, you know, you can cut cut um, the flowers that uh, grow in your garden. Some of them keep better than others. One of the reasons that I keep grow, uh, uh, growing Fragrant Memory, it's pink instead of red, but it is one of the best-keeping garden roses that I've ever had. Uh, if you take care of them, put them in warm water when you cut them uh, with floral preservative, and then arrange them, they'll last maybe a week. So that's something really unusual in, in the rose world. They open up beautifully and gradually, and they last nicely. So that's the roses. I guess uh, some people are interested in them. I guess everybody is uh, happy to get them, and uh, a lot of us are happy to grow them. By the way, tomorrow is Father's Day, Or and I want to wish you a happy Father's Day, and all you guys out there, too, a very happy Father's Day.
2: And the same to you, my friend. And uh, one quick question before we leave you, because uh, we have Chris, who takes care of our yard in Sun City, Huntley. And we had him looking at our backyard and our front yard. And we have a couple of boxwoods on either side of the garage door that really suffered in the wintertime. And we said, well, what will it take to replace it? He said $1,500 for one boxwood. Whoa. Oh, well. What has happened to the boxwoods? I guess we had a lot of them taken out this winter.
3: They were killed off by the winter, that's right. Uh, there are some, several varieties out there, and apparently most of those seem to be um, damaged when we have temperatures as vigorous as we had this past winter, and many of them killed outright. Uh, There are a few different varieties that can survive, and I'm not sure what those are. But the fact of the matter is, practically all the boxwood were killed throughout the area, or a high majority of the stuff. There's a shortage of boxwood, boxwood plants, so the nurseries that have few of them are trying to ration them out to the people that really need them, so the price goes up. You know, the supply and demand is in total effect. So my thought right now is uh, replant them with something else, maybe uh, even if it's temporary in a year or two when the nurseries have a good supply of them, the price will probably go down or go back to something else or something that won't get winter damage. That could happen too.
2: Yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a big potted plant on each side of the uh, garage door, and I think that'll take care of it. But uh, that was kind of sticker shock when I heard it, but I certainly understand supply and demand. Well, you just sticker shocked me, too, because I didn't realize they were going to be that expensive this year. uh, Happy Father's Day to you as well, my friend, and uh, we'll be talking to you again next week. Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here on the Saturday Morning Show. 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. A busy Father's Day weekend for a lot of people. And the opportunity to uh, enjoy Mother Nature, hopefully, without getting rained on. But there are showers in the forecast, which has been a regular event throughout the spring season. And uh, looks like it's going to continue. As many of you know, I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin in Vernon County. Baroqua is the county seat of Vernon County. And I was pleased and a little surprised uh, this week to get a notice from the Wisconsin Cattlemen's Association asking me to talk about the 2019 summer tour. That will take place a week from today, Saturday, June 22nd. And the tour will feature operations in Vernon County and, uh, well, at least two of them in Vernon County and another one outside Vernon County. But uh, the Spring Creeks Cattle Company, the Rush Creek Ranch, and Woodhill Farms on the itinerary for the summer tour of the Wisconsin Cattlemen's Association. Buses will be available at Boscobel and Baroqua for attendees to ride to the three places that are being featured. So uh, you're going to be looking at some interesting cattle operations, not dairy, but beef cattle operations in the part of the world where i grew up and uh, i'm sure you'll find it interesting again wisconsin cattlemen's association that's a week from today june 22nd for the summer tour there and uh, again we're going to be keeping our fingers crossed for a little longer spell of dry weather to give the fields an opportunity to dry out. I'm, I'm really tired of on uh, the internet seeing all these photographs of tractors and planters buried in the mud. Hasn't been an unusual uh, situation this year. It'll happen to a lot of you out there where the fields are so soft that they can't handle the weight of a tractor and a 24-row core planter, so they get buried. And then you have to get somebody out there to get them out of the mud and uh, get them ready to keep going once again. And we are talking about rain uh, next week that will come in sporadic shower activity. And a couple of things I've noticed about weather this spring, besides the uh, frequent rains, the very heavy rains that will all of a sudden start out uh, last Wednesday coming uh, on I-90 into Huntley. All of a sudden, the skies opened, somebody turned on the faucet, and it just poured to the point where even semis, and certainly cars like me, were pulling off to the side because you couldn't see. And uh, during a trip to Wisconsin uh, about three weeks ago, same thing happened outside the Madison, Wisconsin area, where all of a sudden it just opened up and visibility was non-existent, and it just wasn't safe to keep driving, so semis and cars all pulling off. And along with all of that, it's been a windy spring. Matter of fact, I keep looking at my trees in the yard and say, please, I hope they, they don't blow away. Thanks, Roger. 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And uh, coming up between now and 6, Max Armstrong will be talking to market analyst Arlen Suderman. We will also get the weekly BASF report on perhaps what you should be doing now to help those late planting crops uh, moving along to maturity. Going to be an interesting summer because normally pollination time for the corn crop happens during some of the hottest weather of July. But that may be late because corn has been planted late. And then, of course, not too early to start worrying about an early frost. That's something you don't want when we're running this far behind in maturity on the crops. But as always, we begin this portion of the Saturday morning show with Samuelson Says. I'm Orion offering some thoughts, and this week... Dairy farmers aren't bad people. I have heard from several of you asking why I have not talked about the dairy animal abuse video at Fair Oaks Farm in Indiana. Well, one of the reasons is it has been thoroughly covered by general media offering their own opinions, and the story has also been covered on the Internet. Expressing all sorts of feelings, right and wrong. But let me begin with this statement. I certainly do not condone what happened to those dairy animals, and the people involved in the video should be arrested and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. As I read some of the tweets on the internet, Let me assure you, this abuse is not happening on every dairy farm in America. I'm reading postings from people saying, well, this is not that unusual. It happens on dairy farms all over the country. That is simply not true. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin where we raised calves and milked cows. Never did we abuse our animals. And to assume since abuse occurred at this farm, it's happening on dairy farms all over the country, totally wrong. I frankly doubt that people who make that statement have ever visited a dairy farm. And to make my point, I would ask this question. If parents in a home in your community are found guilty of child abuse, do you then assume every home in your community is guilty of child abuse? I don't think so. It just doesn't make sense to harm the animals that provide you with a living, whether it's dairy or beef, cattle, pork, or poultry. And that is why farmers are very concerned about this issue. The other question I have is for the animal rights group that produced the video. If you are truly concerned about stopping mistreatment of farm animals, why didn't you report the abuse to the dairy farm owners the first day you saw it happen? Why did you let those animals continue to be abused for a month or two before you finally reported it and released the video to the public? I know the answer to that question, and to me... It doesn't show much, if any, concern for the welfare of farm animals. So if you are a producer, treat your animals well. If you see neighbors abusing animals, report them to authorities. And if you are an animal rights group cameraman, report it immediately to the farm owner and authorities. My thoughts on Samuelson Says... A presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 20 minutes before 6 o'clock, 62 degrees on my backyard thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois, and uh, no rain at least since midnight in my rain gauge, so we'll wait and see how scattered the showers will be and uh, how much we'll be getting. But yes, will not be unusual to get showers again because They continue, and the forecast for next week is more rain and uh, not enough dry spells to let people finish doing what they want to be doing, and that's getting the crop planted. Max Armstrong standing by with uh, one of our longtime friends in the market analysis business, Arlen Suderman, and we'll join Max and... Arlen, when we continue here on the Saturday morning show.
1: We enjoy visiting with him several times each year, the chief commodities economist for INTLFC Stone, Arlen Suderman. Arland, we're at the end of the week when not only the corn market uh, showed some gains, but soybeans came around too. This has been kind of an interesting week. Uh, share your thoughts on that.
4: It has been, and uh, we started out the week with a more open forecast. With uh, the market thinking, okay, we can get the crop planted now, and and of course the markets always have thought if we can just get it planted, then we can produce the crops. American farmer does such a good job, um, even though it's late. Uh, but then as we got later in the week, the forecasts really started confirming what what several forecasters we follow anyway had been saying. That as we get in the last half of June, things turn quite wet once again especially uh, for southern parts of the Midwest. And uh, so it looked like we are slammed the door shut on any remaining late planting of corn and uh, start putting at risk the ability to get the soybean crop planted as well.
1: That forecast for more wet weather is a big part of the story, isn't it? I mean, we, we see this continuing, uh, if I follow the forecast correctly, on into the early days of July.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and that's a real concern. Now, that doesn't close the door to getting soybeans planted, but it makes it much more difficult. Soybeans are more day-length sensitive versus corn that needs a certain number of heat units, Uh, but that does have implications for yield. We can still plant soybeans in a wider window. It will be after the full insurance deadline, um, but at least they can get planted if, in fact, we do see some dry weather in July, but that's still a big question mark right now.
1: After all was said and done, how much damage was done by that USDA report earlier in the week?
4: Well, I think the USDA surprised us uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, first of all, um, they matched my yield at 166 bushels an acre. I just didn't expect them to do this, that this soon. And that makes you start thinking, okay, how bad might it be? Because the USDA really wants to be conservative in in its early season adjustments. Um, but I think that's all the further we have data to show right now is down to 166. They did reduce acreage by 3 million, and that was a surprise as well. Not that the, Not the number, itself, but that they would reduce acreage that far this soon. I think the market's expecting more yield reductions and acreage reductions as we go, Um, but the That probably will not happen in the June 28th report, since that was an early June survey when farmers still intended on planting. And on soybeans, no adjustments at all other than to cut old crop exports. That was justified. There may be more cuts in old crop exports before we go, and I think there will see some significant cuts in new crop exports as well. That was kind of the dominant feature early until the weather forecast turned wet, and we thought, well, maybe the weather will take care of our surplus supplies of soybeans.
1: Looking toward Monday's planting progress report and condition report, what are your expectations?
4: Well, that's always a a little bit tricky this time of year when it talks about progress, because the question surveyors are asked of, of intended acres, what percent is planted? And the intentions change. As farmers give up planting, those intentions change. But overall, what we're looking for right now is about 91% planting. Um, And with the door shutting, that would suggest that overall we'd be looking at uh, nationally 7.5 to 8 million acres not getting planted. And that doesn't include failed acres, which tend to be added on top of that in a year like this. On soybeans right now, I'm looking at, and this may change by Monday, Right now, I'm looking at about 78 percent planted, which would still leave uh, about 17.8 million acres of the original intended acres still unplanted. As I said, there's a little bit of time, but that window is closing with this forecast.
1: Some have indicated there might be 10 million unplanted corn acres. You're, you're not of that uh, school just yet?
4: I think it's possible, but a USDA typically, traditionally, underreports reports prevent plant acres and b i don't have the data to support that as i talk to our offices which we have people working in nearly every state and i said okay what do you think's gone unplanted what do you think will not get planted that type of thing and i add it all up uh i i come up with that seven i come up with 7.6 million acres and then i go with the external states that aren't involved in uh in the main production states and i added about another half million or so to that So uh, I just can't get to that $10 million with hard data.
1: We haven't yet seen the funds just pile into the market and run the prices up. Are we getting closer?
4: We're getting closer from the standpoint, I think USDA woke them up a little bit. They've always been to this point, as we talk to them, of the attitude, the farmer's going to get it done and the crop is going to come. And I understand the farmer's done a good job of convincing them that with past history, but these are unprecedented times. So that kind of got their attention, but they still have trouble really wrapping their arms around how to treat a wet year, and that's typical because rain makes grain until... Rain doesn't make grain, like we saw in 1993. Now, what I keep hearing is, well, but the genetics are so much better this year. That that corn plant is a factory taking sunshine, water, and nutrients and converting it into starches. And no matter how good of technology you have inside of that factory, if it's shut down for six to eight weeks, it still has trouble reaching full production. And that's what we've done with this late planting is we've shut it down, plus... with some of the planting conditions we had, we don't have the stand counts or the populations we need to really produce the crop.
1: Finally, Arlen, as we look at these last few days of June ahead of us here and into that early July period, historically this has been such a crucial time in the production of the crops and ultimately the prices that are set. I guess it's dangerous to judge this year by any other that we've seen, but how would you put it in perspective of what's going to take place here over the next uh, month or so?
4: I really think weather forecasts and perceptions about planted acreage is going to be key. I wouldn't be surprised if corn crop ratings actually see a bump at some point as the crop is able to put down some roots into the nitrogen, catch up with the nitrogen that's been leached and lower. And we may see a bump in the ratings before they fall to new lows by harvest time. So I think that, again, is going to add some confusion to the market. So I think we're going to see some big price swings up and down that's going to be frustrating to farmers as the market tries to get a grasp on how much rationing has to occur.
1: Thanks, Arlen. From the offices of INTLFC Stone, Arlen Suderman.
2: Always interesting. We've visited with Arlen many times over the past few years. He always has some interesting views on where these markets are going, but that's a complicated situation this year with the weather that we constantly talk about. Well, Max, don't go too far away because we want to check in on the weekly report from BASF when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show.
1: Let's go to the field to see how crops are looking out there as we have our weekend check-in with a technical service representative of BASF, Jody Bow, joining us this weekend. Jody, by the way, talking about technical service representative, just what is under that uh, job description at BASF? what all do you do with producers?
0: Yeah, so as a technical service rep, my job is really to help solve problems and really be a technical expert of the products that we sell to growers and retailers. So Um, solving problems when they arise, but also teaching retailers and growers how to use our products, um, how to get the most out of their applications with our crop protection.
1: One thing you cannot control, though, as the producer knows so well, is the weather, and that that continues to be a challenge, doesn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Up here in Wisconsin, we are about eight days behind in terms of growing degree day accumulation, Um, and of course, it's been wet along with that cool weather, so... Um, It's a little bit challenging, but we're going to get through this growing season.
1: Some people might assume that uh, with this kind of wet weather early, that that definitely will foster disease. Is that necessarily the case as you get on into the growing season? From what I've heard so
0: far, yes. um, We're seeing anthracnose pop up in some areas in corn. Um, And, of course, weather is a huge factor in disease development. So it's going to depend on... What disease um, is favored by cool and what temperatures? And, of course, there are a couple um, that are favored by that. So it's something to definitely keep a lookout for and really be cognizant of this growing season.
1: There are some growers I know who say it, it doesn't matter to them uh, just how... What it is, and what the forecast for disease pressure might be, they have told me, as we visited in recent years, that they'll have fungicide put on every acre they farm, that they just want to make sure it's out there because they think they get results. Do you see that often?
0: Absolutely. Not only do we control the controllables of disease with our plant health applications, but We also see the benefit of improved growth efficiency by maximizing our photosynthesis um, and also reducing oxidative stress. So that translates to, at the end of the season, um, higher yield um, in a lot of situations with our fungicide applications.
1: Limiting stress is crucial, isn't it? I mean, stress is the kind of thing that's really going to inhibit ultimate yield in the crop.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, we think about diseases, and what diseases do is they reduce photosynthetic area on that plant and also stress them out. And what we're able to do with our fungicides is is help reduce that stress. I mean, the big thing that I learned um, working in Illinois is that corn never likes to have a bad day. And one thing we can do to help make sure that that corn doesn't have a bad day is apply a fungicide such as heliamp at VT. Um, and if we're going after more aggressive disease control um, at earlier timings, um, making a pre-AX application before castling and then follow it up with headline amp so it's going to be really dependent on what your disease pressure looks like this year um and, and what you're looking to get out of your acres um especially with considering the conditions we had last year with tar spot um in northern illinois and throughout wisconsin
1: tar spot did rear its ugly head here's something interesting a grower told me the other day he said i have been so limited in my planting I have not been able to get all of the acres in that I wanted to, so I have to maximize the acres that are out there. He said, I can't spare expense on those acres that I've planted, so I need I need to make sure that I'm limiting stress, that I'm enhancing yield as much as possible. And he told me that was one reason he was going to make sure that he had fungicide on those acres.
0: I I couldn't agree more. I mean, looking at what we can control, I mean, what we can do, we can't control the weather, but we, of course, can control how we take care of our crops and what inputs we put into our crops. And if you're really looking to maximize the most out of every acre, really consider making that funderside application, making that plant health application this year.
1: Jody, it's good to talk to you as you travel the rural roads throughout our part of the Midwest. Travel safely out there.
0: Thank you. Thank you, you too, Max.
1: Jody Bo, Technical Service Representative for BASF. Joining us this weekend.
2: And before we make room for the 6 o'clock news, a quick review of where the markets ended yesterday. We saw corn prices at... I think a 5-year high yesterday. July corn at $4.53 a bushel up 11 and a quarter cents and July wheat up 4 cents at five thirty-eight and a half. and a half. July soybeans up 9 and a quarter yesterday, ending the day and the week at $8.96 and 3/4 cents a bushel. Turning to Livestock Futures, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, different story there, pretty much a red screen. The August lean hog contract ended down $2.77 a hundredweight at $80.62. The August live cattle contract down $0.32 cents at $104.27. August feeder cattle contract ended yesterday at Down 85 cents at $135.52 a hundredweight. So that's where we ended, and that's where we'll start on Monday morning when the markets open. Meanwhile, Father's Day weekend, and uh, all of you dads out there, including yours truly, not only a dad, but a granddad uh, for quite a few years already. But anyway, enjoy Father's Day. And uh, if you're in dairy country and there's a June dairy month breakfast on the farm near you, attend it and learn a little bit about the dairy industry. And, of course, farmers markets are open and uh, many of them are on Saturday and Sunday. So learn a little bit about agriculture by talking to farmers. Thank you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks, as always, to Bob Ferguson, our engineer. And uh, we'll be back with you a week from today on the Saturday Morning Show. (coughs)
0: Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrusk Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.